Welcome to FileMaker Talk. This is Matt Navarre. And here I am, your buddy, Matt Petrowski. Wow, it's been a long time. We've, we've done this before where we, we let some time go by. A uh, little too much. Little I shouldn't too much. even call myself your buddy anymore. Cause no, you totally are. You, you never call me. <laughs> well, we, we hung out at pause. That wasn't that, all that long ago. That's true. That's true. That was actually, I liked that. Pause. Pause was great. It was a really you, big success from you, the perspective of running it. You and Gerald it. were putting it on. Or yeah, yeah. Me and Gerald Chang did it. Um, 120 people. Actually, 128. I wanted a power of two. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we sold out. It was at the Ace Hotel again. And it was a. It was great. There was some really, really uh, kind of earth-shattering news, I think, and some changes in the industry, which I thought were quite interesting, related to the... Uh, Execute sequel uh, script step. Okay, so what was that? What's the earth shattering? Not stuff? The, not I'll tell you what step, I thought the, was the earth cow. shattering. I wouldn't say earth shattering, but I, the the big news that I one of the big takeaways that I took from Pause was there's some inherent limitations. Let's just say in the execute sequel uh, calc, the new thing that they added recently. I guess in twelve, right? It wasn't thirteen. It was twelve. And it doesn't perform well. It's in all in every single situation when you can give, do the exact same function using traditional uh, FileMaker techniques like you know go to layout, enter find mode, set field, perform find. Um, that the traditional FileMaker way is faster than execute SQL. Well, I didn't. I didn't. From what I had heard, based on the performance testing that um, uh, Skeleton Key Mark Richmond mm -hmm. that he had done. Um, he basically found out that the Execute SQL is more or less a wrapper around FileMaker's own internal Draco engine yes. for doing the searches. The biggest thing that it takes away is obviously the need for the connections on the graph. But yes. the performance wasn't so, so terrible. It was just a, a very slight degra uh, degradation because they're obviously they're going through, they're having to first interpret SQL, then run it on their own engine, and then return the results back. So right. it would make sense that you'd get something back quicker if you just stay complete native. But yeah. what it does do is it, uh, it reduces the need for a lot of extraneous table occurrences. Oh, no, there are absolutely times when it is the way to go, and we use it in, all, in many of our solutions. Um, it, you know, it's a little bit of extra hoop to jump through because you have to sort of get your brain around a different way to get the, the data. But yeah, reducing the complexity on the graph is a huge benefit, and there are others. There are there are queries that you can really only easily do with a SQL uh, statement. Correct. And, and, and one thing I heard that was important for anybody who is using Execute uh -huh. SQL, in fact, I, I found this out uh, at DevCon the previous year I had heard, um, I obviously talked to people I didn't get to attend this uh, previous one. Wim DeCourt had done something about um, an audit log and within that, because he was using Execute SQL on um, the server side, he found out that if you had, if you perform the Execute SQL from the client side, I believe it is, while a record is open, FileMaker does, has to do something totally different than if the record is actually committed. Oh, I remember and this. so, yeah, if the, if the record is, oh, if you have an open record, then it's really bad. So basically your catch is either always commit before you run an execute SQL step, whether you're running it in set variable or not, mm -hmm. or use the get record open count and find out whether there are open records prior to using execute SQL and make sure that you've got a fully committed state so that execute SQL won't have to do whatever hoopla it has to do. I think it has to like basically search against the whole index 
of all records to find out out of it which one record is the record that you have open right and then run whatever it's got to run against that so there's a get record open count function i never use that i love that yeah, it basically, it'll tell you whether the current record that you're on is open. Mm-hmm. In fact, the, the companion to it is get modified fields, which was newly added in 13. Get modified, field only, modified fields only applies to the current record. Mm-hmm. So if you have related records in a portal and you go in and you start to edit those, the open record count will actually show a count of two, depending mm-hmm. on if you're going into one portal, because you've got the related record. Um, yeah. And, and then it locks the, the parent record. And so any other record you, you modify gets added to that. If you have a get record open count of only one, that means it's only the, uh, the current record itself. And not the, not the child. Correct, and hmm. not the child. But also the get modified fields will actually return an empty set if no modifications have been made. If you have modified a field, then it'll show you which fields are modified, but only for the current record, no related records. Hmm, that's cool. Hey, before we delve into geeky stuff, which we always do and I always love it, <laughs> I have a kind of interesting it's not FileMaker thing, which sort of connects. Um, there's a new feature in 10.10 in the new um, uh, Mac OS that in the QuickTime Recorder app, uh, if you connect your phone or your iPad to your Mac with a cable, lightning cable, a QuickTime, QuickTime player can actually instantly see the screen and record the contents of your iPhone or iPad. So before we had to use like uh, um, that that app reflector, reflector or air server, yeah. Yeah. So the 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 field the features of those things are now connected in 100% reliability because it's actually done with a cable by just plugging your your iPad into your Mac, which is really sweet. That is that that's actually I, I was hoping you were going to say. Yeah, you can actually use it as a second monitor because that's what I've been wanting. Is well, yeah, actually that would be kind of cool too with a cable. But I think there's already, well, again, there's there's uh, solutions for that where you can turn your iPad into a monitor. Those right. have been around most, for years. Yeah, but most all of them, they had serious lag because they yeah. would go through either Bluetooth or Wi-Fi. Yep. But yep. I saw that there were TechCrunch had an article on a new thing. I think it was it's called. Duet or duo or dual, I forget. Hmm. Uh, recently, it was like, uh, as of this recording, it was uh, on the uh, App Store. And basically, it uses the physical cable, too, with zero lag or, or hmm. next to zero lag. So it actually made your iPad a true second monitor. That's nice. Which or, you know, or fifth monitor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I'm thinking from the standpoint of developing on a laptop when I'm out, mm-hmm. being able to use that my iPad just for the data viewer. Oh, yeah. To be able to look at all my variables and all kinds of stuff. There's another interesting little trick about that, too. You know how you, if you have a data viewer up and um, you move it over to your second monitor and the default behavior in OS ten is if you have, if you open up like a the file open command or something, it pops up the open dialog box and then the other dialog box on your second screen, not on your main screen. Correct. Yeah. But there's a setting. Actually, I think you're the one who even posted this originally. There's a setting in the OS that that forces the menus to stay on the main monitor. Yes. Uh, I, there was a subscriber of mine. I don't know his name off the top of my head. He had contacted me. He called like Apple multiple times and finally got to somebody that actually said, "Yeah, the setting is," um, and I forget where it is. I think it's in accessibility. Maybe not. Or in the display preferences somewhere, I don't know. 
I've got mine turned on now, and I guess it would behoove me to actually know. I made a Facebook post um, about yeah, it. I think I remember the Facebook post is what I saw. That that's uh, how I found it. I would think it would be in somewhere obvious, like um, like in desktop and screensaver or doc, but I think it's actually not. Uh, nope. It's uh, I think it's Mission Control. Because it has to do with spaces and how the windows actually uh, deal with spaces. Uh, so it's some, one of the settings. Oh, yeah, There's the a one. number of checkboxes in I there. I think it's the when switching to an application, switch to a space with open windows for the application. Either that or displays have separate spaces. Oh, no. Yeah, you're right. It is. Because I've got that one I just mentioned checked. But the displays have separate spaces one is the one that's not good for FileMaker. So if you uncheck that box then all your dialogues will all stay on your primary monitor. Right. You, you, go, you basically go back to the former behavior where you've got one menu right. bar across multiple mo uh, monitors. Right. Yeah, exactly. As opposed to having every single monitor have its own FileMaker menus. Yeah. If you have a, if you have a window in that monitor. And actually, I think it's kind of a FileMaker failing. So FileMaker just doesn't know. Like if you've got an unimportant window like Data Viewer open on the second screen... And then you have several FileMaker databases open on the first screen. I think FileMaker should just sort of know that anytime I do a file open or you know any kind of another OS level dialog, that it's going to stay on my main monitor. But it doesn't know. Yeah, it's. I mean, I was, I was so. I've personally not been happy with the uh, the migration. What they did in Mavericks with the multiple uh, spacer, screen display, mm -hmm. whatever, and then Yosemite. I'm just not impressed. I mean, I wasn't a fan already of the hyper-minimalism and translucency, but the fact that it's just slower for me, and I've heard from other, a couple other people, like hmm. Jesse Barnum, when he had installed it, he made a comment on Facebook. He's like, gee, I'm feeling sorry that I upgraded to Yosemite because it's just more laggy. I haven't noticed any speed difference, hmm. um, but I'm running on a fairly current machine. Let's see, is this the current? Yeah, I'm not running on the iMac 5K, but I've got the one just before that. Um, I did upgrade a really, really old iMac, um, like eight years old. I mean, like a Core 2 a Duo machine that, that you can't even put more than six gigs of RAM in <laughs> to Yosemite. I was shocked that I could, but I did. And that machine really, really slowed down like, to the <laughs> point of not really being able to use it. And it was pretty fine on 10.9. That I totally believe. Yep. Totally. That's okay. The machine was so old, it was kind of end of life anyway. So let's see. <clears throat> um, for me, lately, I've been really, as I've been growing my company, uh, and the reason I haven't been doing podcasts is because I've been spending most of my time trying to uh, build staff and close deals and, you know, just kind of do work <laughs> rather than talk about doing work like we've done on the podcast. But I really, really didn't want the podcast to to suffer. So I found actually one of my employees, uh, David, is a audio guy. He's like in bands and does a lot of production. So he volunteered uh, to do the production to take that off of my plate, which is going to help me a lot. Um, wow! Will we get to do more podcasts? Yes, we'll be able to do more <laughs> podcasts because all we have to do is record it. I can hand him the file. Um, he'll go through and listen to it and do all the editing, and then just post it. It'll be it'll be nice. Wow, then we're going to have to actually come up with some type of regular frequency. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah. How about, <laughs> how about once every six months? <laughs> that one's been met. <laughs> yeah, no, hasn't, not this year. Oh, that's true. <laughs> it is still 2014, barely. Oh. So what's up, what's up, have you been up to lately? Well, I was going to tell you what my, uh, my 
pause uh, revelation was when I mm-hmm. went to pause. And usually a lot of people show a lot of things, some of which you've seen or you've gathered from Facebook and other forums. But one thing that I had not seen was um, you've always been able to use, uh, you know, FileMakers had its own web technologies, which I sort of consider clunky um, up until WebDirect. Mm-hmm. They've got a really good translation and good fidelity in terms of the look and feel, but they were obviously hindered by performance because of the Vaden engine and stuff. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's always been more efficient to basically take your FileMaker output sort of make it into an HTML. If Unless you need real-time, dynamic, full-on interaction, a lot of FileMaker databases are just basically, I need to present information. And that it, the information just happens to be coming from my FileMaker database. And for me, the easier way to do that was typically custom web publishing. But the custom web publishing API is really... It's really lame, I mean, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, no offense to FileMaker and the developers, but the way that they implemented the, the PHP API was sort of clunky, and so there was a uh, one that came out before it, or around the same time, FXPHP. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which was um, a little bit better, a little bit more optimized in terms of the, the quote-unquote PHP way of doing things. Mm-hmm. So I've always been a fan of, if I want to just display my FileMaker data, I need to just get it, put it into an HTML format, and then present it. Mm-hmm. So there are people like uh, Todd Geist and other people who have written their own personal frameworks for actually using FileMaker's XML output, parsing that XML, and then using some type of presentation technology. Mm-hmm. Well, Sam Barnum at Pause showed something that they had created for a client, which actually takes advantage of modern-day JavaScript frameworks, in particular Angular. Mm-hmm. Angular is a JavaScript framework that was created by, uh, I don't know if it was created by Google, but Google's got it now. And it's uh, you can find it at their you uh, at their GitHub place. It's at uh, GitHub.com/360Works, which is the name of uh, Jesse and uh, Jesse's company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'll see FM Angular. So basically, this is a JavaScript client front end that uses Angular. Totally robust, totally powerful JavaScript mm-hmm. net, uh, framework, which hits the FileMaker. XML interface gets the data and then comes back and just presents it. But yep. if you use something like Angular in conjunction with a really cool CSS, um, uh, I forget framework mm-hmm. uh, like Twitter Bootstrap or Blueprint or something like this, oh my gosh, yep. you get full-on control to make these absolutely beautiful, fully interactive web pages that just directly hit and access your FileMaker data. I know. I saw that. It, was, it blew me away. The uh, and, and Sam also did a really beautiful job presenting it. He just put it in great order and like, okay, let's start with Hello World, you know, five lines of code, and then kind of building up from there. No joke. I mean, that would, I was just... I was just sitting there from the time that he started. I was just salivating because I know what Angular can do, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! This is cool!" And they made it, and they made it available for free. For free, yep. So the other thing, uh, so basically, what this does is it allows you to d- to develop uh, web pages with FileMaker backend with no PHP at all. So Correct. if you take a look, like PHP, which was kind of, <laughs> remember when FileMaker did custom web publishing and it wasn't PHP, it used like XML directly and didn't even have a PHP layer. And then they went to PHP, which PHP at the time was really kind of big. But I don't know if I would say it's declining, but it's definitely not as as chic as it once was. Whereas JavaScript, I think, is the largest 
I think JavaScript is the most successful programming language on the planet, right? Uh, probably, I forget think, what the stats are. I remember reading I've something somewhere, but it's definitely, I mean, that's what, ever since Node came out like a couple of years ago, they, mm -hmm. it's just been, it is the lingua franca of web browsers. I mean, that's all interactivity uh, is JavaScript. Otherwise, it's a make a request and then get something back. JavaScript basically said, okay, I'm going to make one request, get you a bunch of data, and then only show you the data based on how you interact with it via JavaScript. I love that the phrase for something that's absolutely uh, the de facto standard. Actually, the word de facto is an obscure language Latin, and lingua franca is an obscure language French, and those are both actually the, the most common English phrases. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I, I don't know why I use that one, but it's, no, it's, it's right. No, you're totally right, and, I, uh, and it's it true. JavaScript is absolutely um, the place to be. Well, I mean, talk about. I mean, when you think about, I consider FileMaker an absolutely awesome, awesome, awesome rapid application environment. Mm -hmm. You can prototype and create something so fast in FileMaker that it can be your proof of concept. You can even stay within FileMaker. But if, it's, if something grows and you, you go beyond what FileMaker needs, FileMaker is your prototype for whatever is next. But the cool thing is, is if you, if you stick just within FileMaker, you really sort of limit yourself because FileMaker, it has its, like all things, has its shortcomings. Some a little bit more than others because it's not... You know, they don't have regular expressions. They don't have uh, true arrays and the ability to ma manipulate multidimensional arrays. But right. all of that stuff can be had for free now where you couldn't get it for free. 360 Works has their free script master. So if mm -hmm. you're willing to use Java and Groovy, Base Elements, that plugin has taken off enormously. And they just recently got um, a JavaScript engine embedded into it. It's a hidden function currently, mm -hmm. but they're going to be able to process JavaScript. So why would you want to know JavaScript? Well, something that FileMaker can't do, as a just a simple example, is mm -hmm. um, FileMaker has that really new, cool um, summary list of function, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically, it will look at your current found set. And let's say you have a found set of all of the people names of uh, people attending DevCon. Mm -hmm. But you want to be able to sort that. Well, of course, you can use FileMaker sort. But sometimes you want to show something within, let's say, for example, like a web viewer right there on the record you're on. Well, you'd have to do a lot of FileMaker hoopla in order to get all of those names in a sorted order. Yep. If your found set is not in a sorted order, you can use something like the, play, uh, the, the Base Elements plugin. You can actually get the list of summary, which will grab all of the names, and then you just pass one method to it, which is basically dot sort. And it will sort all of the, that data in an alphabetical order, and then you can present it right within a web viewer. So, I mean, there's just so many things that, that FileMaker doesn't have yet or may never put in that you can access with all these external technologies. And it's just it's really pretty cool to see how you can do all those things with FileMaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sorry, I love I that. So, I, mean, I get so geeked about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. There's been a lot of things over the years that have given you that ability. But I think it's always exciting to see when, some, when you get technologies that bring you the right things. And and also in a really beautiful way, and also the right people bringing it to you, you know. Yeah, especially so these I mean, are the, two like, great examples of that. 
like the perform script on server totally changed my mindset about how to develop with FileMaker and oh, the base wow, elements yeah. plugin, the, the script master plugin, and the monkey bread plugin too has just a plethora of uh, functionality. Totally. Yeah, perform script on server has really, really changed. I, I, I've worked so hard to convince my few customers who don't currently run FileMaker Server 13 to switch over to it. Um, that that command massively improves speed and the just the snappiness of the application if you use it for all the things that used to have to happen. Uh, simple examples, like like one of the things I do in the public health apps that I run is I log everything. So anytime a record is viewed or changed, uh, anytime certain fields are changed but not other fields, I've got just really, really heavy logging. So the logging table has, I don't know, 10 million records or something. Um, and right now, I've got the routine to create those log records down to pretty small. But there's no reason for that to happen in, in you know real time. There's no reason that that needs to happen and have the user's action wait for the log record to be created. Right. That should just happen asynchronously. And now with perform script on server, I can just in my one logging script, I can just say, oh, yeah, yeah, go run this one on the server and poof. You know, even though that's one thing and even though it only takes a small fraction of a second, it's a measurable fraction of a second. And every user who, who uses the application has that fraction of a second hundreds of times a day. Yeah. And, and now they don't anymore. It's funny you mentioned that. The the article that I had just released for my subscribers on the magazine site was called um, Sublime Audit Log. And what it does is it takes advantage of a feature of um, FileMaker Server when you're running a perform script on server. If you have, and it's funny, we even mentioned it since we had talked about get record open count mm-hmm. or open record count, I forget mm-hmm. what, what, what it, how it goes, but... Um, the server, if you execute, if you open a record on the client, that record has not been committed to the server. Right. But if you perform a script on server pre-commit, you have access to the data prior to FileMaker Server receiving the committed data. Oh, sure. So basically, the way that I'm uh, running my audit log is I, uh, when the record is uh, the on-record-commit trigger... That r- trigger is a pre-trigger. So just before the actual commit happens, which is at the very end of the on-commit mm-hmm. script, I go over to perform a script on the server. I go to the tables, get all of the data, export it server-side, and then import it into a mere clone of each table. And so what it does is it creates a snapshot audit log at every time, and then the record is committed. And so you basically just have, all you have to do is modify the import and export steps for whichever tables you want to modify or, or keep control of, uh, keep track of fields. And it y- y- does a whole audit log in about, I think it turned out to be like 60 actual script steps. Hmm. I mean, just very small, two script steps and you're just, you're done. You have full audit logging and it, for as many tables as you want. Wow. And all of the other, most of the other providers that run audit logging too, like um, I think, I don't know, SyncDeck probably does. But yeah, they did. They had a beautiful them, one that I've used. Over yeah, the they years. all used SQL. They used the, the mm-hmm. plugin SQL API, which is much more exhaustive than regular execute SQL because you right. can do your inserts, deletes, and alters and stuff like that. So, yeah, most of, most of the audit logging does use some type of server side execute 
not execute SQL, but SQL execution. Yeah, years ago, um, they had the, they added the ability to to do the uh, asynchronous logs, which I think is a good way to go. Yeah. On the other I mean, hand, if you take your file offline, so I mean, another thing, um, another really good way to approach a perform script on server is to have virtually every script that can be run server side have like a little controller script that when you run perform script on server that it um, that it can sense whether the file's hosted or not so that the script step doesn't fail if the file's not hosted. So it can run locally or on the server this exact same script in the exact same way. Yeah, I think I had mentioned either in a previous podcast or somewhere that Dan Smith had come up with a really good few lines of code that you preempt on any of your scripts that if it's running uh, on a client and determines that the file is hosted, it'll run that exact script on the server. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it runs it local. And if it fails, if it generates an error on server, then it also runs it local. Oh, that's tricky. Uh, To actually make that happen. Oh, but the fail, that means the script must have to run... Synchronously, right, with the checkbox saying wait for it to complete? Uh, yeah. Because if you run it asynchronously, then I don't know what would happen with an error. No, you wouldn't know. Yeah. Unless, unless the actual script that you're running does some type of error reporting to a table, like a log. Or oh, something. sure. So whenever it hits an error. So, but, oh my gosh, yeah. Perform script on server. Uh, there, I can't imagine the number of FileMaker solutions that are out there that just they have no idea how much they would benefit from changing a lot of their uh, methodology. I mean, you you think about an application like uh, Gmail. I mean, Gmail. If you do a search in Gmail and you have over 5,000 emails in your Gmail account, Mm -hmm. there is no way in heck ever on this great earth that the client would be able to process and hand back the results as fast as it does because on the server side, they control all the resources. Right. They can they can distribute that request across however many servers need to process it and hit as many different, you know, however wide the database is spread across however many disks and get all those results back into you so fast to hand back just that small little chunk of data through, like, uh, JavaScript Ajax, mm-hmm. that it's just, that's what makes those types of solutions usable to an absolutely massive market. And you now have that type of uh, approach technically within FileMaker with perform script on server. Yep. Except what I really want is some sort of a way that I can run a script asynchronously. This is the thing I'm really looking for, the holy grail I'm looking for, is to have it run asynchronously and then be able to communicate back to my application the results of what it did without me having to wait, right? So like using the example that you just gave me, um, if I could have a search running if I could type some stuff into a search and then hit enter, and then a perform script on server runs asynchronously, and then the results get flowed back in to my uh, application in a, in a sort of a real-time, you know, as data appears kind of a way. Well, really, the only way that you'd be able to do that with current FileMaker technology, like in Java, I believe this is called Listener. You basically set up an object that listens or just sits there mm-hmm. and waits for some type of poll to hit it or a ping and says, you know, here's my status or here's my here's mm-hmm. what happened. Uh, the only way that I could think to do that would be you'd need to run an off-screen window and then run and install a timer script, which would actually run either a secondary perform script polling for a result of if 
you know, if it's successful or not. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, if you just send it off to the server, you really have no idea. Yep. Or, or the other option is to just run it synchronously because the server can still do it way faster. Yeah. And, um, and then um, use, this, use the uh, script result, right? Yeah, and then you get the result of the script that just ran. It just totally depends on what your needs are. If mm -hmm. you've got a, a report that's being generated that takes multiple hours that obviously has a bunch of, I don't know, unstored calcs. And yeah, it's probably going to create records of so yeah. stuff like that. Then, you know, hand it off and then create create your own little listener with like, a, you know, install timer on the mm -hmm. window and just ping it every, you know, two minutes. Are you done? Are you done? Are you done? So... There is sort of a way to get it, but it's yeah. Not, well, for that know, one, which is a bigger native. thing, I'm talking about something that's a that's a, a fraction of a second kind of a timer, not a report that takes ten minutes to run kind of a timer. Because I think there's a report that takes a while to run. I would just create a record in a table, and you know, go back to the main menu or whatever, and say, oh, when when the report is complete, go set a flag saying the report's complete. So then when I'm on the main menu, it that gets set, and then I can see, oh, my report's done. I can go view it, you know. Uh, but yeah, if you just fact, do a search. And you want the results instantly, and you don't want to wait for local processing, or you don't want to transfer all that data to my local, you know, machine. Like imagine if you're on an iPad and you want to do a search in a table in a database that's not open. You know, perform script on server can actually open up that other table, open up that other file or whatever. Well, actually, maybe not because there's yeah, a lot of limitations that, on it. Yeah, it's got that that bug where it can't transfer its permissions to other files. That's true. Yeah, but it could, you know, navigate to another place. Do this. Do the query. Um, process, process, and sort, and you know, do the results and aggregate them. And uh, you know, it can do a lot of massaging, just like Google does, for example, on the results that you get. Uh, yeah. Mainly, uh, you know, relevance ranking, and then present you just the list of them with the keys to those records. That's. Uh, I, I, I guess see the thing I'm really looking for. Clearly, I'm thinking FM search results. You can tell. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> I'm dreaming is what I'm doing. <laughs> Clearly, you are. Mm -hmm. uh, Vince actually, uh, Vince Manano, I had picked up something from him uh, when he wrote his article um, that makes total sense. If you do pass something off to server, and you're waiting for it to process, let's say for example, you are running like something that m maybe it'll take a minute, mm -hmm. but you want the client to still have control. So basically, you uncheck that wait, so you don't wait. But what you can do is you can use something like um, a web viewer, and you can show one of those uh, processing GIFs, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that can be tied to uh, a particular field, like a, a local field, that the server side, once it gets finished processing, sets a value into the local field, and then your client, which is constantly you know polling back and forth and checking, it would check that field, see that it's got its value, and then stop showing the little uh, spinning widget. Sure. So you get a nice feedback mechanism. Except for, yeah, that's true. But sometimes, and there's no control over that layer of how long it takes FileMaker to server to, to tell you that a field has been changed. So sometimes it's a fraction of a second, and sometimes it's several seconds. True. It does depend on the cache and the number of concurrent users and stuff like that. And all kinds of other things that we that you can't don't have control over, basically. So, um, and that's kind of the unfortunate thing. There's kind of no way to say, you know, prioritize this at the top of the queue. Tell me right now, you know, give, give me this round trip True. as quickly as possible. But, you know, for like a report, if it's going to take, again, it's only really several seconds. It's not like it's going to be minutes before you're notified. Um, so that's definitely fine for a larger report, but not for, not for the tiny things I'm looking for. Yeah. 
Hmm. So there's plenty of geeky material we've got here to talk about, isn't there? Oh, it's tons yeah. of it. <laughs> Is it what it, out of thirteen? Like what it, they've got? Obviously, like the new container stuff. Perform script on server. We're obviously fans of that. Mm-hmm. But is there anything else in thirteen that you that came out you hadn't used, but you're sort of now using on a frequent basis? Or? Well, themes are. I'm really. Um, we've we've developed some internal themes at MSN Media for all of our um, for a lot of our projects, especially if it's going to be deployed to WebDirect or to Go. Where every and we we rigorously ensure that every single object on the layout is within theme. And anytime we need to do something different, you know, like have a, a field that has rounded borders on the left but not the right, or the right but not the left, or whatever, um, to build a theme and have a good naming convention for how to how to determine it, so that so that we can then say, oh yeah, well for this theme I'm going to just change this one thing, and boom, boom solution wide, um, we're updated. Like if we want to change the font in an entire solution from Verdana to Arial, yep, uh, you know that's a huge benefit, and it's not. A lot of pain. I, um, there's not a badge to show if an object is in theme or not in theme, so you kind of have to click on each object on the layout to see that, um, which is unfortunate. Actually, there there is a way. Is there? Um, yes, there is. If you're on a Mac, there is a um, there is a program called FMX Ray Specs. Oh, I just saw that new version come out. Yes, and he made it available for free. Obviously, I'm guessing because it was a little bit of a hard sale because people didn't know what the value is. Well, I'll tell mm-hmm. you what the value is. You can select, you know, just basically do a Command or Control A on your whole layout, copy it, go over to FMX Ray Specs, click Get Clipboard, and it parses everything on the clipboard, mm-hmm. including all theme styles, whether they are local or whether they have local CSS or it's full CSS. You can then sort by the local CSS, and it tells you right there, okay, you've got a total of 104 objects, and you can visually see, okay, out of that 104, 20 of them have local CSS. That's nice. The cool thing is, when you double-click on the row in FMX Ray Specs, Mm -hmm. it actually shows you a visual representation of the layout and, and highlights in whatever color you select, like a nice vibrant pink, where the actual object is that has that local CSS. Man, how did he do that? (laughs) <laughs> he's just he, he's just parsing the clipboard. Yeah, but it's 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 unless you create your own tool and parse the FileMaker clipboard, that's the only way to sort of visually see. Okay, out of all of my right. layout objects, how many of them actually have some overrides? Which means they either won't be updated when I update the the right. same style in the theme, right? Or they have so much CSS that they could be just slowing my my layout down. Exactly. I guess I was I was just hoping for something that works like the like the little um, red asterisk telling you that, that that a particular object has a script trigger on it, or the other little badge that tells you if it's got a tooltip on it. You know, I want another badge like that that tells you, oh, this is not within CSS. You know, not part of the theme. Yeah, and I know a number of people would really they want FileMaker to start to put out you know tools that actually do like performance testing that says, okay. You know, here, I've assessed your layout. You've got X number of objects with have this percentage of CSS that's local. You could clean this up. It's an area of improvement. See, we're now actually getting right into another session that was a pause, which is one that Vince Monano did that was basically uh, an aggregate of all the people who are at pause, their, their biggest wish list items for FileMaker. Yeah. And these are two of them, right? I think the one I just mentioned was on the list. 
Um, another one that was really, really high on the list was the ability to natively handle multiple, like an array in a variable. So when you when you uh, call a script to be able to send, you know, name value pairs without the workarounds that we have to do now with custom functions or calling a script or whatever to parse the name value pairs. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it'll be good to have those things one day. But we got to keep asking. Yeah, I think that's why Vince was. Uh, he had talked to someone at FileMaker, and they basically said, "Okay, fine. Don't don't give us everything that you want. Just give us your top five or whatever." Mm -hmm. And so I think that was he was on a mission to sort of flush those out of the community. I did decide months ago to stop just whining about features when I want them, and every time I think of it, I go to um, I go into FileMaker, and there's a button right inside FileMaker, um, in the file menu it's in the help menu I think. in the help menu that says uh, uh, request feature basically yeah and it just takes you to their web page right yeah provide FileMaker feedback takes you to the web page and you can fill out a simple little form and um, and request a feature and I, I use that a lot now <laughs> and you forget whether you actually already requested it and so you request the same feature like five times uh, in I don't a know row. if I've done that but maybe <laughs> I do it uh, when we're in company meetings. I do it. So when I'm working with other developers or something, or if we're doing our, our FileMaker user group meeting and somebody brings up a feature, I'll, I'll have people sit there with their computers in the meeting and like five people go online right that minute and request the feature. <laughs> Make that voice loud. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, I haven't done that a whole lot myself, but I guess well, I I've actually seen features. You know, it hasn't happened often, but. There have been a couple of features that I've asked for that have appeared in FileMaker. And I don't know if it's my voice or not adding to the choir, but um, I don't know. I guess it's kind of nice when, when you see that happen from time to time. Uh, like one of the ones, I guess it wasn't really a feature per se, but um, uh, FileMaker Server didn't use to support Enterprise Edition of Windows. It only supported Standard and I think one other one. Mm -hmm. And one of my clients, my largest client, only uses Enterprise Edition, and they they really thought it was ridiculous to have to install a non-standard version of Windows Server that they don't normally support just to run FileMaker Server. Mm. And so it made the whole FileMaker platform non-standard because they couldn't run it on what they consider a standard install of Windows. And it shouldn't have been a big deal, but in a really big, you know, um, organization, it is a big deal. Well, <clears throat> FileMaker, uh, when I explained it that way, uh, actually changed it, went out and tested for Enterprise Edition, and now officially supports Windows Server Enterprise. Oh, nice. I know. Well, hopefully they're going to put in support for uh, Windows, I think, because I'm, I'm running it on a non-supported version. It's the Windows 2012 R2. Which was a surprise to me because that's the current, like, popular release of Windows Server. Yeah, and they Windows only Server 2012 R2 is not supported. Right, it's but 2008 Windows... R2 is required. Right, it's two. Yeah. Well, it's 2008 R2 or mm -hmm. 2012 standard. Right, but they didn't have R2. So interesting. It runs on it. I can I can confirm that. Hmm, that's good. In fact. Um, uh, Lately, I was talking with Tim Dietrich, uh, and because I had done a, a video article about his FM Easy Sync, which, if you haven't used that, that is absolutely so easy to install. Hmm. Is Easy Sync? I even streamlined it by making a little installer 
step-by-step tool um, on the magazine site. I had released it. But he, um, this was a cool idea, but although it can get expensive if you don't watch, watch for it, but the whole uh, server virtualization, which is obviously the way to go these days, mm-hmm. um, he just went to Amazon AWS and he set up a, uh, a Windows server. Because when you go through Amazon, you don't have to actually buy the OS. You just basically, you're going to pay uh, whatever they charge per, you know, typically it's uh, per kilowatt hour or per right. something. You're always paying like cents on whatever small right. increment it is, bandwidth, you name it. Mm-hmm. But that's how he set up uh, his server. And so I actually went out and, and tested the same thing. And I'll be darned, it was like pretty easy because... You don't have to install the patches. You don't have to install the updates. They've got a virtual server with, like, the latest Windows. You just basically boot it up, load your copy of FileMaker server up there, install it, and just start to run it. Yep. And it's, like, it is the way to go. I can imagine that I know, in fact, I know there are a number of the the hosting providers that they use virtualized servers. Yeah, some of them do. Providers. Some it's very much not optimized for FileMaker Server, though, and there's no way to do it. So the storage that they use is really, really not fast. So it's perfect for like a low-use kind of a thing or for something that's minor. But if you want a really well-optimized server, you can get basically the same kind of simplicity by, by uh, going to a hosting company like, like ODI, FileMakerHosting.com. Yeah, I love And they'll, they'll do a purpose-built, you know... Well, you and I both use that on the server that we have, so... Exactly. And that's like RAID 10, you know, really, really fast, proper drives. Windows all totally dialed specifically for FileMaker Server. Yeah. No, there's no doubt about it. When you, Anytime you dedicate any type of hardware, software combination to a specific tax, task, that's when you get the best performance. Otherwise, you're always trying to account for different variables based on the different things that you're mm-hmm. running on it. So. Yeah, but for simple stuff, yeah, doing it with AWS is nice. And they, they, they do have a couple different ways, several different ways. You can do it like by kilowatt hour, like you mentioned. Then you can get a sort of semi-dedicated one. And you can also get a, um, a like a fully dedicated. Oh, another really, really cool thing you can do with that is uh, you can have a robot-type machine set up that's not running FileMaker server. But for those tasks that you can't really automate server-side, you can have just a copy of FileMaker Pro running on an instance of Windows, connected to your hosted database, or like, you know, periodically connecting and running things for yeah. those few things that you can't do um, server-side. Yeah. And I think AWS, they it's not a recent thing, but they have solid states as well, enterprise-grade solid states. Yeah, yeah. So That probably ain't cheap. No, everything that you add on on those services is just like, okay, it's .0005 cents more. Oh, that's it? Well, <laughs> once you add it, start adding it all on and up, it, like, scales really pretty I know, quickly. but, like, you can, you know, the basic server it starts at, like, 40 50 bucks a month for what would actually suffice as a FileMaker server box. Yeah. Which is pretty nice. I, I think it get. I mean, if you want something that'll, that'll meet FileMaker specs, mm-hmm. you're going to be spending at least... Nothing less than two hundred, but I think it's on average really? three hundred. Um, yeah, because FileMaker oh, wow. Server their specs. If you're going to use like WebDirect, yeah, it wants oh, yeah, like yeah. yeah eight gigs of memory and stuff like that. And I mean, when they start at their lowest server with a five twelve, and then you go to one, two, three. Once you get up to eight, it gets it gets pretty expensive. Yeah, well, ODI is actually way cheaper than that, and you can get a dedicated server from ODI for like what one forty, fifty, something like that. Yeah, no, it's always it's. It's typically going to be cheaper to go with a hosting provider 
if you can deal with the limitations. Like for me, the limitations of any hosting provider is mm -hmm. the ability to run a plugin that has uh, OS level access. No hosting provider, and if you're a hosting provider listening to this, if you install Scriptmaster or uh, Base Elements or anything that has any type of um, I.O. or file access. Well, yeah, for shared hosting, sure. Yeah, it's a security hole. Right, but for ODI, though, if you get their virtual server, you own it. It's your box. They'll just Correct. give you a, you know, for around 150 a month, you get your own Windows Server install that you run your copy of FileMaker server on, and you have access to the whole OS if you want to run anything on there. Like I run ScriptMaster, or I'm sorry, not ScriptMaster, I run, um, um, no, I can't remember the name. Another 360 elements? Works product. I run all the 360 Works products, actually. On I've got the whole portfolio yeah. running on it. Anyway, so all that stuff you can run, uh, whatever whatever other stuff, is totally up to you. Yeah. And that's that's what it, that's what I actually need on... Because yeah. anything I'm going to develop, I'm going to be using those external technologies no matter what. Oh, yeah. I know, because you if love you're, them. If you're just FileMaker, then, my gosh, go with a hosting provider. They're probably... Mm -hmm. The only, the, I mean, the big downside is, though, you never know who you're hosting next to. It's just like your neighbor. Your well, that's neighbor, if you're shared. You Again, could, you're not, I'm not talking shared hosting here. Yeah. I'm talking dedicated well, hosting. I mean, that's what most people are thinking when yeah. they think about a hosting provider. They're thinking, oh, well, $15 a database? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, but your database is going to be next to, you know, 50 other databases, however many databases the hosting provider is willing to stick on there, mm -hmm. and you have no idea what they're running. That's and, true. Uh, I mean, I've heard like nightmare after nightmare talking to various hosting providers that people will run scripts and those scripts will run forever and mm -hmm. just brings everybody else's database down to their knees and stuff. <laughs> it's like crazy. That's true. It's got to be tough from the perspective of the hosting provider because they can't, you know, what, what can they do? They try to, they, yeah, they either like, okay, I need to shift you to this other box and, uh, yeah, eventually they sort of have to maybe not so, uh, unkindly say, you know what? Your solution's sort of crappy because yeah, you've got stuff know, that's running that, but crazy. I've got a lot of my clients are in <laughs> shared host environments, and they're very happy. I mean, for years at a time with no problems. Well, that's because they were probably developed by you, like an no. esteemed, no, no, no. no. I mean, awesome but I mean, developer. they're running on boxes <laughs> with a whole bunch of other databases that you know overwhelmingly were not written by me, that could be interfering with our databases, but it, but they aren't. So I guess that's what I'm saying is most. Most environments that are shared environments are fine. It just has that huge potential to not be, which I agree yeah. <laughs> is real. It's, it's, for me, it's always when you know the truth about the whole of a situation, that's when you're like, oh, okay, I want full control. Yeah. And I'm yeah. that full control type of freak guy. <laughs> well, I like, know. Occasionally well, Google goes down. Occasionally Amazon goes down. There isn't anything that has 100% uptime. True. Totally true. So talk to me about some of the changes coming in Theme Studio. Oh. We talked a little bit about that before we started recording, but I'm kind of excited. All right. Well, we're... Uh, and then we're, we'll finish with that because we're already at uh, 45 minutes. <laughs> I was going to say, we're, we've, we've had a lot You know what? Let's just about. say that for the... This, this is a good length. That would be a really good lead-in for the next podcast. You want to do that? No, let me give it. I can all give right, it. All right, It's really quick. <laughs> so basically, I mean, the Theme Studio does all this manipulation. It takes the clipboard... The, some of the biggest new things that I put in that were really cool is previously with the clipboard. So let's say you have, here's a good, really good example. You have a, a button mm -hmm. with an icon, 
and you want to put a new icon on this and save it as a new style and then add it to your theme. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's say you've got a, a question mark icon button for help and you now want to make a gear icon for settings. Mm -hmm. Well, what Theme Studio did is it would go out, yeah, I would copy that question mark icon and then put it into the Theme Studio by capturing the clipboard and it would pull all the parts out. Mm -hmm. Well, I was like pulling out all of the individual parts. Now I'm just pulling out just the big chunk of uh, XML, the actual whole clipboard. But what's cool is I leave everything gray that you're not supposed to touch, and then on each, and, uh, each object, which in this case we're only copying one object, one button, what it does is it injects local CSS tags and highlights them yellow telling you exactly where to go. And so all you have to do is go to the, any area in the full CSS, mm -hmm. copy that portion, and then paste in what you actually want to modify. So where this, where mm. this comes into play is it allows you to do things that you can't normally do. Sure. That uh, like make a, a white line on top, a, a dark line on bottom, make all four borders totally different colors. Yeah, you because those are that. all part. Those are all rendered inside FileMaker. Even if you can't change the attribute inside FileMaker, the CSS is actually there. And so, if you modify it in Theme Studio and then put it back into FileMaker, it will work in now and you know current and future versions of FileMaker, basically. Correct. I mean, FileMaker. Once they made their bed with regards to CSS, they're not going to uh, they're not going to take that out. Mm -hmm. But what they're not going to expose, or what will take them a while to expose, is the extensiveness of the potential functionality. So right. that's all the Theme Studio is doing. Is it saying, okay, you want a button where every border on that button is a different color? Sure, you can do that. FileMaker does that behind the scenes. They can. Mm -hmm. They just don't have it exposed in the inspector. It is a terrible idea, by the way. What is? Having all four borders be a different color. <laughs> well, I mean, you can do, you can do creative things like, uh, you know, you can make, like if you zoom in on a, on a button on the Macintosh. Yeah, you're right. And you hover over it, you will see that top borders are different than the two side borders, and maybe there won't be a, a bottom border. Mm -hmm. You can do that so that you can make any type of FileMaker object look exactly like a Macintosh or a Windows object. Yeah, of course, now buttons on the Mac are, like, ultra-flat. They're just, like, you know, nothing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that's another feature I put in. You, you talk about flat. I uh, put in an SVG tool. So, basically, SVG is, uh, you know, it's a vector-based format for graphics. You can convert that to a PNG. So, I have, for example, like, the whole Glyphish library, which is, mm -hmm. like, 16,000 icons. I've got that imported into my... A copy of Theme Studio, the one that's coming out, and I can drag that SVG file into a container. And so it inspects the SVG file, looks at it, and says, okay, this is a single color icon. Let's say it's the icon of a trash can. Mm -hmm. I can then say, it says, what size do you want it? I can put in an actual size value, so I can make it 1x, 2x, or 3x for like the iPhone 6, for what, however high the resolution is. Mm -hmm. And I can change the color of it. So if it, it's uh, immediately a black icon, I can make it a blue icon at uh, you know 64 pixels wide, and then that and scale that down to uh, 24 pixels, and that that makes it retina resolution perfect. I can embed mm -hmm. it into a button. I can do all of that, and it I do all of it right within FileMaker, because within FileMaker in the Theme Studio, I'm actually even making the um, 
Xcode available. So you can copy that, like this example I'm mm -hmm. using of this uh, help button. button. That's over in the tweak section. So I go over to the icon section. I get my Glyphish icon, SVG, drag it, make it the color I want. It gives me the hex code. I just copy that hex code, go over to the tweak section, and replace the, uh, the icon that is the help icon with mm -hmm. the gear icon. And then I copy it to the clipboard right there in FileMaker and paste it right into my layout right next to it. I mean, nice. I never even have to leave FileMaker. No external graphics programs, nothing. I even integrated the, um, the optimization that you get with tools like um, ImageOptim. So the, the quantization where mm -hmm. it takes like a 32-bit uh, a icon down to uh, 256 mm -hmm. by quantizing it, it does that. So, you know, you'll have like a, I don't know, an 8K icon, and it'll make it like 3K, the smallest, most tiniest thing possible. And it just, you do it all within FileMaker, it makes your UI development so fast. Oh, yeah. I love hmm. it. Yeah, and still be super high resolution. Yeah, because those things, again, you, if you take a look at objects, the way I think increasingly as I program longer and longer in my career is to... Um, is to really think about really small bits of time that, as your users use your applications and to make them responsive so that they're really, really fast so that there's nothing they do that takes longer than, you know, insofar as possible, a fraction of a second. And for larger things, one or two seconds. Yeah, it's, all, it's always been about performance and mm -hmm. speed and getting things as small as you can without actually sacrificing quality. Right, and also not spending a crazy amount of time optimizing. <laughs> so there's actually return on investment. And having software do it for you. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm really jazzed about those uh, those two features, and I've got a few other ones in there, but um, working So are those like there now or coming? Out. That's in the version that's coming. The version that, that currently... Um, I had to I had to basically almost rewrite the whole thing because I had to rip out. It was communicating with the website. I ripped all that out. Mm -hmm. uh, the way that theme packs are actually distributed is going to be totally different. It's going to be a much more open way that people can share their own theme packs that they create. Oh. Um, and I can provide them as well. I'll be able to start making new themes again. And uh, it's just it's going to be a much better uh, solution than it currently is. Cool. Are you going to get stats on theme usage, too, so you know which ones that you've built are popular and more popular than others? Um, I think I have a little bit somewhere. I, I just haven't checked it for a while. Mm. But, no, I don't really have that baked in. All right. Well, it is always great to talk to you, Dr. Petrovsky. Oh, man. Got to do this. Uh, we could do this at least every two weeks. <laughs> I'm done with that. I think we can convince David to do some editing. And there's so much stuff that we have to talk about. We didn't even get into any of the geekiness and some of the FileMaker Go stuff and WebDirect stuff I've been thinking about lately. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And then geeky business stuff, too, which is going to be exciting. Yeah, you're, like, growing with people. I know. I love it. Awesome. It's not just me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks very much. All right. See you later. 